Welcome to Faith and Science. My name's Dr John Ashton, and today I'd like to discuss some of the views of scientists who believe that the modern science supports the biblical account. Most of us going through school have learned that life on Earth has evolved over millions of years. And this directly uh, contradicts the account in the Bible that's found in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, which says that God made the heavens and the earth in six days and all the life was created at that time. Now, some people uh, think that such an idea is foolish and there are many people that don't think that there is a God, that everything came about by natural processes. So let's give this some thought and see what other scientists say about this. Some years ago at Macquarie University, uh, a group of uh, creation enthusiasts put on a seminar presenting the evidence for creation. At that seminar, a prominent uh, New South Wales scientist uh, stood up at the end and said, look, I do not believe that any practising scientist with a PhD would believe in a literal six-day creation. The chairman at that meeting responded by saying, well, there's uh, such and such scientist that works at Ludicrous Heights, there's another scientist that works in private industry, um, and he, he named these particular scientists. When I heard about this, I decided to write to scientists and ask them why they believed in a literal six-day creation. The result was very, very interesting. Uh, in a short period of time, I had about 80 responses, and the, most of those people sent me written articles which were eventually compiled into a book which uh, was titled In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation. And this book is uh, available free uh, on, on the internet now on um, Creation Ministries International website, uh, CMI. Uh, the website, if you did a search on the book In Six Days, why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation. The individual chapters are there. Now, these scientists were uh, educated at, uh, many of them at secular universities. Only a, a very small number were uh, educated universities associated with uh, some sort of religious affiliation. The first chapter in the book was written by Jeremy Water, who is a, uh, a mechanical engineer. And Dr. Walter is actually the head of engineering analysis and design department uh, at the Energy Science and Power Systems Division of the Applied Research Laboratory at the Pennsylvania State University. Now, some people might ask, well, hang on, what would an engineer know about creation? How, how could an engineer talk about evolution? Well... When we think about evolution, evolution is underpinned by chemical changes and those chemical changes follow the laws of chemistry and physics. So in, in other words, the laws of chemistry and physics influence or constrain the possibilities of evolution. Now, engineers 
uh, very heavily involved in the laws of, of physics and, and chemistry. Now, this particular person uh, held a, a Bachelor of Science degree in mechanical engineering with highest distinction, a, me- a Master of Science in mechanical engineering and a PhD in mechanical engineering, all from Penn State University. And in 1975, he was the recipient of the prestigious National Science Foundation Fellowship in the United States, which funded graduate study at the institution of his choice. In other words, he was a top student in his time. And he also now heads um, the Underseas Propulsion Development Projects for the US Navy. Now, the United States Navy is not going to have a, a senior engineer who has wild ideas. That just wouldn't uh, get through. And so this engineer writes a number, a very, very um, detailed article and very, very strong arguments why he believes in creation. First of all, he talks about how many intelligent people are thoroughly convinced that science has proven the Earth to be billions of years old. And he points out that this misconception builds on a neglect of the basic nature of science and that does not recognise that actually the age of the Earth can neither be proved or disproved by science. And he says scientific evidence can be compiled to support the model that the Earth is very old. But such work actually only amounts to a feasibility study, not proof. And this is a very important point to to recognise. We can gather information that seems to support a particular idea, but that does not necessarily prove the idea. And this is a, a very important point to understand. There's another, uh, all science is based on assumptions. So these, there are many assumptions that are fundamental and we call those axiomatic. And these are accepted in that we believe them. We can't prove them, but we believe them. Now, one of those uh, ax- axiomatic uh, uh, statements is the principle of the law of causality or the cause and effect relationship. In other words, we believe that there is an effect from a cause or all effects have a cause. This is something that we assume. And this law states that one cause can have many effects, but no effect can be quantitatively greater or qualitatively um, superior to its cause. Now, this is very, very interesting because... He, uh, Dr. Water goes on to point out that from the thermodynamics that we know, the laws of thermodynamics, particularly the second law of thermodynamics, that the universe is running down. Now, this points clearly to a cause. Now, people talk about the Big Bang, but what is the Big Bang? What was, in actual fact, if it was uh, the Big Bang, what is the cause of the, the Big Bang? And the Big Bang, we note, follows um, laws that, in order to work, have to be different to the observed laws today. So this is one of the major flaws in the Big Bang theory of, of origins, in that we've got to have dark matter and dark energy. These uh, entities are called dark energy 
because we haven't observed them. We don't know anything about them. They're called dark matter because for the Big Bang Theory to work, for the calculations to work, this matter has to exist, but we've never detected it today. As a matter of fact, one of the areas that science is looking for all the time is the existence of this dark matter and, and what is it. So here we see that in order for a science theory to explain the origin of the universe, we have to invoke entities that we have no proof of, we don't know about. So in actual fact, it, it, it's sort of like a fantasy. It, it's really science fiction waiting to be proved. They're hoping that they can prove it one day. And this is a very important point. So therefore, having a creator, a mind that can create uh, the universe is a very reasonable concept. Now, those who listened the last time we broadcast Faith and Science, remember that I shared the experiment of moving a little finger. We can choose to move our little finger. How do we move our little finger? We move our little finger with our thoughts. Our thoughts are non-material. You can't weigh your thoughts. They don't have mass. You can't measure the volume of your thoughts or their width with a micrometer. You can't measure them. They're non-material. And you can choose. You could choose to move your little finger. You could choose to not move your little finger. You could choose the way that you moved your little finger. You weren't programmed to move your little finger there. There were no predetermined neurons in your brain that at that particular time, or and even now if you choose to move your little finger now, programmed you to do this. This was a choice that you made, the choice of your will. Now, if by your mind you can move the physical entities of your body... We know from the Bible that God is spiritual. He's a non-physical uh, entity. Why can't there be a God who can, again, manipulate the physical world and indeed create the physical world? Because this is why he's God. The other question that comes to mind, of course, is that what is the origin of God? You know, who made God? Well, it's interesting that God in the Bible defines himself as the self-existent one. And, of course, this is puts himself outside this law of causality. This is, by definition, God is God because he is outside everything that he has created. And this, of course, means that he is not testable by a scientific method. Sometimes people say, well, why can't we do an experiment to prove God? You know, why can't we, we prove um, uh, God in some way or... Or detect God. And of course the reason is because he is outside this entity. He can choose to interact with us, but we can't force that interaction uh, backward through some uh, physical entity. The other important uh, aspect uh, of uh, faith versus science involves the theory of evolution where ev proponents of evolution claim that from some simple organism that formed, more and more organisms evolved, more complex organisms. So we have very simple little bacteria that somehow become little creatures like worms that somehow then become more complex creatures like fish which then become amphibians. And so we have the evolution of different body parts, a digestion system, eyes, fins, um, leg and arm and uh, systems and reproductive systems. Now, these things are enormously complex and they require things to come together in, in specific structures. But the second law of thermodynamics 
says that the opposite, that everything runs down. And that's actually what we observe, isn't it? We, we observe that things decay, things rust, they break down. Chemical molecules that may have a structure after a while lose their structure and decompose and break down. We see that animals are becoming extinct. We um, have people talking about global warming. And in the newspaper the other week, I read where we have the first mammal reported to become extinct as a result of global warming. But do we see any creatures evolving with some new mechanism that enables them to survive um, the global warming that wasn't here before? No. We don't observe evolution occurring. We've done laboratory experiments where we've bred bacteria through tens of thousands of generations and they've still remained the same species of bacteria. They haven't even evolved into a different type of bacteria. So nothing has been able to be proved in the laboratory, but instead we know that we lose something like a, a quarter of a percent of the known species, or it might be a tenth of a quarter of a percent, become extinct each year. So what we see is extinction and the running down of uh, things. People uh, sometimes, uh, evolutionists say, well, look, you can't apply the law of therm thermodynamics. Now, Dr. Waters is a brilliant engineer, and engineers know all about thermodynamics, and his area of specialisation is related to heat engines and specifically to thermodynamics. He's very familiar with this. And so sometimes the evolutionists say, well, what about um, probability? What about statistical thermodynamics? What about the possibility that, yes, through chance, something could happen? And, of course, a... Um, a famous uh, 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 creationist, um, who uh, uh, James Clark Maxwell, who developed Maxwell's equations and uh, first proposed that light was um, uh, a combination of electric and magnetic fields. Uh, he looked at this uh, problem of um, the um, uh, probability, and he developed the concept which is known as Maxwell's demon, and that is where you have this little demon that can selectively pick high-energy molecules and put them on one side of a screen and low-energy molecules on the other side of the screen, and therefore you can somehow increase the order in your system. But another brilliant scientist, Leo Zeland, uh, who actually first patented the nuclear um, uh, reaction and uh, discovered um, the modern uh, theory of uh, nuclear power, uh, that uh, brilliant, hung brilliant Hungarian physicist, he pointed out that in actual fact the energy that the demon uses in sorting the particles is actually greater than the energy generated. And so we can never defy the second law of thermodynamics. And I think this probability issue is something that many uh, proponents of evolution don't understand, that the probability of the structures arising in living organisms are so minute as to be absolutely impossible, especially for first life to form from non-living molecules. Matter of fact, the Nobel Prize winning um, uh, molecular biologist uh, Francis Crick, who was one of the uh, discoverers of DNA, recognised that the probability 
of DNA forming by chance was so small that life must have come here from another planet. There wasn't, even in four billion years, there would not be enough time for the, uh, for the liver molecules and the millions of molecules that are essential, even in the simplest cell, to form by chance. And so he says life must have come here from our space. And he, again, proposed that the theory that is now known as um, panspermia, where life comes from outer, outer space. But that doesn't change the laws. It doesn't change the, uh, the chances of life forming. And even if you give the universe 14, 15, 20 billion years of age, there's still enough, enough time in terms of probability for life to form anywhere in the, in the universe. And then, uh, uh, there are many other brilliant scientists that have recognised this too. So Fred Hoyle um, uh, wrote uh, that the possibility of life forming from non-living molecules does not fit the facts. So here we have brilliant minds that recognise there must have been a supernatural cause or the only alternative is a supernatural cause. Even our universe is very unique in its in its structure and it must have been formed very quickly because many of the structures within the universe are, are, are dependent on other structures around them. Even the system that our planet operates in, 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 opera, in revolving around the sun and the, our solar system, the whole structures depend on the whole universe operating as a whole. In fact, this was uh, recognised by another Nobel Prize winner, George Weld, who was a professor at Harvard University. He originally trained as a zoologist. And he, from his studies, pointed out and believed that there was clear evidence that the universe itself was designed to support life here on Earth. And there's much that we could go into uh, about that. It's not just the fact that we're the ideal distance from the sun and the ideal uh, distance from uh, an ideal size that our gravity allows hydrogen to diffuse away and not poison the atmosphere and we hold on to oxygen, all these sort of things. There are so many things. But even our position within the solar system and the fact that we have the larger planets that act as vacuum cleaners and, and mop up any really bad flying objects that might damage the Earth and the way we're protected from cosmic rays by the Earth's magnetic field. And we know, though, from the decline in the Earth's magnetic field, here we, here we have evidence that the Earth could be very young. There are many things that point to the Earth being young. It's interesting, too, to note that if we go back uh, 40 or 50 years, even in secular textbooks, uh, engineers and scientists wrote about a creator. For example, in a 1968 uh, 1978, sorry, thermodynamics textbook published by John Wiley, a major secular publisher. Uh, just a, a little statement there by the authors. However, the author, this is what it says, uh, quote, however, the authors see the second law of thermodynamics as man's description of the past and continuing work of a creator who also holds the answer to the future destiny of man and the universe. So here we see that in a um, in, in an engineering textbook, and I guess some of you might uh, wish to uh, check the um, 
the uh, the reference for that. That was um, Fundamentals of Classical Thermodynamics, second edition uh, by John Wiley's and Son, New York, 1978, page 243. So here we see that engineers recognise that when we look at the basic science and scientists recognise the origin of life is very much impossible. Um, Another uh, highly educated molecular biologist uh, commented um, a a similar effect. Uh, Edmund Kornfeld, uh, who discovered um, one of the very important antibiotics that we use today... Um, vancomycin Um, he wrote uh, back in in 1962 as he studied the intricacies of of life that um, he wrote this while labouring among the intricacies and definitely minute particles in the laboratory I frequently have been overwhelmed by a sense of the infinite wisdom of God one is rather amazed that a mechanism of such intricacy could ever function properly at all. The simplest man-made mechanism requires a planner and a maker. How a mechanism, ten times more involved and intricate, can be conceived as self-constructed and self-development is completely beyond me. So here again was a molecular biologist. Now some people say, OK, that you're quoting somebody that's 50 years ago. But if we read the book in six days, we find current scientists who are currently practising who believe exactly the same thing. Let me quote one other. John Kramer uh, is a research scientist. Well, he's now retired uh, at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. John Kramer was one of the folk who uh, developed canola oil. Uh, He was on the team. Uh, that uh, characterised its uh, safety and so forth. Um, And he has analysed particularly the structures of uh, the the bacteria that are called uh, archaea uh, in that they're believed to be very old. Uh, So he's published papers directly on these uh, bacteria in in recent times. As I said, he is a current emeritus uh, professor there at the University of Guelph. Um, He trained in molecular uh, biology uh, and biochemistry from the University of Manitoba and a PhD in biochemistry from the University of Minnesota. And so he served as the uh, associate editor of the journal Lipids. So here is a highly respected biochemist who's actually studied the chemistry of the actual bacteria that are believed to be the earliest and oldest types of bacteria. And he actually points out from his studies that these bacteria that are supposed to be the oldest and earliest bacteria are in actual fact more complex um, than later bacteria in some regards. And again, he uh, talks about how back in his undergraduate days he was confronted with the theory of evolution. And as a, a Christian, he looked into this theory. What was the evidence of this theory? And he was challenged by his professors because uh, he was not comfortable with the theory of evolution and they made it difficult for him. And so he has spent a lifetime working in this area and he has compiled quite a bit of evidence 
that evolution is absolutely impossible and gives these reasons in his chapter in uh, the book uh, in six days. So, and there are many other uh, scientists, and I think we will talk about some of these in, in future editions of, of faith and science as well. When we uh, look at uh, another chapter in this uh, book, just and we're only looking just at three chapters here, is by uh, another scientist, Jerry Bergman, uh, who has a, a PhD in human biology from Columbia Pacific University, um, as well as a PhD in evaluation and research from Wayne State University, and um, also has degrees in psychology. But he was particularly interested in the structure of the human body. And he points out that even if we just look at the bone structure in the human body, the chances and the, or the probability of arranging the bones or the bones being formed randomly in a code to fit the structure that they are is so high as to be absolutely impossible for it to occur by chance that the codes to program the human structure of the human body could not arise by chance. And he actually sets out the calculations in, um, in his chapter in the book uh, In Six Days. He points out as well that even the structure of the universe, the way the groups of stars which we call galaxies have particular structures and the way the galaxies are grouped together in structures have particular structures and the way those clusters are organised to form enormous groups of clusters called superclusters these structures all point to an intelligent designer, an amazing intelligent designer. So what we have discussed today clearly shows that leading scientists recognise that science does not support the theory of evolution. It does not support life arising somehow by physical processes. And we have only discussed just three out of the 50 scientists that contributed to the book in six days. In our next episode of Faith and Science, we will look at another three scientists and what they say about the evidence, the scientific evidence, that the Bible gives us a true account of how we came to be. My name's Dr John Ashton, and you've been listening to faith and science. God bless. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 